0: Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to cover a whole nother three verses this morning, and at this rate I think it's going to take us about 10 years to get through this book, but it'll be worth it, I hope, Lord willing, as we get through this slowly, uh, little bit by little bit. Uh, If you're looking for a sermon title this morning, Running on Empty, Running on Empty is the title of the sermon this morning. I'm going to read the text for us, and I'm going to jump right on in here. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 8, and we're going to work through verse 10 today. This is the word of the Lord. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's pray. Father, we come to you asking that you would Send us your spirit now to help us understand this text. Lord, we want to know you more. And this text is so vitally important to understanding who you are as our triune God. And in particular, to understanding the nature of Christ. And Father, we know how many people throughout history have gotten your son wrong. And we don't want to do that. We, we want to get Jesus right. Christ, we want to magnify you for who you are. We want to worship you for who you are. So Holy Spirit, we do pray that you would enable us to understand this text. Enable me as a weak man to teach with clarity, with accuracy. Lord, I just want to rightly divide your word because it's your word ultimately that will feed and teach your people. So I pray that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When I first got my driver's license as a 16-year-old, my parents helped me out to purchase my first car. They were gracious enough to help me out in paying for the insurance of that car for a little while. But both of those things came with this understanding, and that's that they would not be helping me out with gas for that car. Gas was going to be on me. I had to find a way to make some money in order to scrounge up some cash to pay for the gas that was going to get me from point A to point B in that car. Now, at the time, that was a bit of a struggle for me because I only have one source of income, and that was a little bit of money that the church that we were attending gave to me because I helped set up and break down all the things that were needed for a Sunday morning service because it was a church plant that was meeting in a school gym. And as you can imagine, that job didn't pay a whole lot, which meant that my gas tank basically never ran on full. In fact, I got really good at estimating just how far I could push that gas tank without running out of gas. And to this day, I'm one of the people that can say I have never run out of gas completely. I'm sure I have made it barely across the finish line before I reached that point. But I've never run out of gas completely. You know, we like to joke about a lot of the uh, things that occur when it comes to our gas tanks. I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories of people talking about rolling into the gas station on neutral because they had run out of gas completely. And we laugh about those sorts of stories when we tell them. We can all think of times when we've almost run out of gas in our own cars. But the truth is, though we may laugh laugh at those things after the fact, when we're in the moment we're about to run out of gas and we're needing to be somewhere for some meeting, or maybe we're in the middle of nowhere traveling on a long trip and our gas tank is running on empty, anxiety abounds. There's few things that provoke, at least in me, more anxiety than not knowing if I'm going to make it to the gas tank, especially if I happen to have my whole family in the car. Some of us have even had experience perhaps in our life where we didn't know how we were going to get gas in our car because the bank account was running so low. And something as simple as that can bring tremendous anxiety into our lives. The truth is, no one wants to run our cars on an empty tank. And friends, if that's true of the gas in our car, then you'd better believe that it's true of our souls as well. And yet, we're going to find in our text this morning that the majority of the world attempts to live their lives with their souls on empty. And their souls are empty because they don't know the source of fullness. Now, sure, they try to fill their lives with all sorts of ideas, with all sorts of efforts, with all sorts of stuff, perhaps, to fill their lives with whatever it is that they are seeking. But what they're going to find is that those things ultimately do not fill them. The, The world that we live in is full of empty promises that don't deliver the fullness that the human soul longs for. I can remember tra- or seeing a uh, travel documentary some years ago, and the travel documentary was about a bunch of friends who went around the world, and In one point in the documentary, they found themselves in a foreign country where they rented a car, took it to the gas station, and couldn't read the signs on the gas station labels. And so they made the mistake of putting diesel into their petrol engine rental car. Do you know what happens when you put diesel into a petrol engine? Well, you might be able to get down the road a little bit because it's still running on the bit of fuel that's still left in the lines. But as soon as as that diesel fuel hits the engine, the engine seizes up. And that's exactly what happened to them. So they found themselves stranded, making an embarrassing call to the rental car company trying to explain that they had put diesel fuel in the petrol fuel engine. And that's the situation that every person in our world finds himself in, my friends. People are born into this world trying to fill the tank of their souls with a substance that may seem to get them down the road for a moment, but ultimately it's only going to leave them in a worse situation than they were in to begin with. But the great truth of Christianity is that the God who designed us has revealed himself to us in the Bible and in the person of Jesus Christ. And in Christ, through the word, we find the fullness that we all so desperately need. And that's what we're going to see in our text this morning. As we travel through these verses, we'll begin by first seeing what causes us to run on empty. And then we'll find fullness. And then finally we'll finish by seeing what it looks like to run on fools. So let's jump in. First, running on empty. Look with me at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, where we see what it is that causes all people to run on empty. Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now let's remember quickly what the immediate context of these verses is. Last week, we looked at verses 6 and 7. And in those verses, we saw Paul is writing to a people who have received Christ. And as those who have received Christ, they are called now to walk in Him, to live their lives according to Christ. They're called to walk in Him by putting down deep roots into Christ so that they're not torn away by the next wind and wave of doctrine they're rooted deeply in him they're not going to be convinced by false teaching that seeks to sweep them away and then we also see that these people that Paul is writing to which would include us by the way are to be built up not just rooted but also built up like a structure that's laid upon a firm foundation you know that classic uh, children's story of the wolf that comes and blows down the little piggies' houses, right? you got the house of straw, the house of sticks, and the house of stone. Paul's saying, you need to be like a firm house. And a firm house is built on a firm foundation so that when false teaching threatens your life and your soul, there's nothing that can blow it down. That's what it means to be built up in Christ. And so in Christ, then, we become more and more convictional as we grow in being what Paul says is established in the faith established in Him, confident in Him, knowing the doctrines about Him, not going to be swerving to the left or to the right. We grow in this as we grow in Christ. And because of all this growth in Christ, we overflow in thanksgiving throughout our lives because we recall that God has done for us what we can never do for ourselves and that we have all that we need in Jesus. So Paul turns from all these sorts of positive affirmations in verses 6 and 7 to verse 8. And in verse 8, he gives these same Christians a warning. And that warning apparently comes because Epaphras, who you may remember as the pastor at the church in Colossae, it seems, who comes to Paul and gives him the report. Epaphras let Paul know about some teaching that is a potential threat to the church. The church at Colossae is being tempted to swerve from the teaching that they had originally received and that they need to continue to be established in. And church, we should know, you should know, I should know, that we are just as susceptible, just as vulnerable to swerving from the truth if we're not seeking to be continually established in it. And so Paul moves to warn the church here. He says here at the beginning of the verse, see to it. I don't love that translation, particularly in the ESV, because a little phrase really ought to be translated something like, take heed, or beware, watch out. The, the idea that Paul is getting at at the beginning of verse 8 right here is that something needs to be discerned. Something needs to be seen. There's something that is in your path that you need to watch out for. Okay, I grew up playing baseball, so you're going to get some baseball illustrations every once in a while. But there's two common words that you always hear at a youth baseball complex. Do you know what those two words are? Heads up. Heads up. Because any time that there's a foul ball that's hit up in the air and it's heading in the direction of where any people may be, you tell them, heads up. And, of course, you're telling them, watch out. There is something coming your way, and if that thing strikes you in the head, you just might be knocked out. So heads up. Watch out. That's what Paul is saying to the church here. Heads up, church. Watch out that no one takes you captive. Here's the idea. These are Christians who've received everything that they need in Christ. In Christ, they've come to know a freedom that can be found in no other religion, that can be found in no other concept, that can be found in no other person. These are Christians who have been delivered from the domain of darkness, which is a a domain that is filled with lies from Satan that leads to the eternal destruction of souls. And Christ has been their deliverer. But they need to know that the ruler of the domain of darkness, has not yet been completely neutralized. He, he's not been totally done away with, yet we are still living in a world where Satan is active in seeking to thwart the truth of God with his own lies. Satan is, is kind of like a gambler with an empty wallet, could be a way that you could look at this. right? He, he went all in on the destruction of Jesus Christ, and he lost everything that he had. And yet there he remains, continuing to put in bets, thinking that somehow he's going to be able to recover from the loss that he has already endured, but he's got an empty wallet. He's just going more and more in the hole, but he is still seeking to do work as one who has actually no power with which to do this work because Christ has rendered him powerless. Don't be deceived by his tactics. Don't be taken captive as those who have known freedom in Christ. Paul continues by laying out the means by which the domain of darkness will seek to make us captives once more. That's the idea. You've been set free, but Satan is seeking to take you captive again. Your own flesh will seek to take you captive again. And Paul makes it utterly clear that all of these means that Satan will try to use to take us captive again, will only lead to more emptiness. So here, we're going to look at the three sources of an empty life. These are the three sources of an empty life, and we're going to take them each in turn. First, we're going to see emptiness from human reasoning. And then second, we'll see emptiness from hell's rioting. And then third, we'll see emptiness from hopeless relying. Okay, first, emptiness from human reasoning. Paul says, do not be taken captive by philosophy. And I think the better translation here would be to say, philosophy, which is empty deception. Okay, there in your ESV, it probably says philosophy and empty deception. I think the better way to understand this is Paul saying philosophy, which is empty deception. The, the empty deception here is the description of the philosophy that Paul is talking about. Now, let's make one thing clear here. Paul is not condemning all philosophy. Okay, some of us are grown up studying some philosophy. Some of us even enjoy different aspects of philosophy. Philosophy as a word simply means a love of wisdom. It's a study of wisdom and knowledge and rightly, gut, rightly grounded, the study of philosophy can be tremendously beneficial. The, the philosophy that Paul has in mind in particular here is a certain type of philosophy. And we get a hint of exactly the type of philosophy that he's talking about in the use of that little phrase, according to human tradition. You'll see that? According to human tradition. That phrase reminds us, at least it reminds me, of Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7. Now, we're going to turn there, but just know that in that passage... The the Pharisees are upset with Jesus and his disciples because they're not following the traditions that had been developed by the leaders of the religion under Second Temple Judaism. There were traditions developed by men that were not laid out by God in the scriptures. They were addition to the scriptures. And Paul, or Jesus, calls these things human traditions in Mark chapter 7. God didn't command this. This is something that men have made up in addition to what God has commanded. So Jesus says to these Pharisees who are getting mad about the disciples of Jesus not washing their hands in a particular way before they eat, Jesus tells them this in Mark 7, 6 and 9. Just listen. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, he says to the Pharisees. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Jesus quotes from Isaiah the prophet here. In the context of the passage in Isaiah, which Jesus quotes from, is where God's people are rebuked by God because of their false worship. The, the people of God in Isaiah's day had created their own religion that went beyond and outside of the true religion that was revealed to them in the word of God. In other words, God's people had exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they had begun worshiping their own ideas rather than the one God who had revealed himself to them. That's the idea that Paul has in mind here when he uses that word, human tradition. Okay, Paul understands that one clear effect of the fall of man into sin is that we are going to seek to reason out a religion for ourselves rather than trust in the revelation that God has provided as to what true religion is. And all of this sort of human reasoning, Paul is saying, is empty. It's empty just like the idols that Israel created. It's empty just like the pagan idols of the false gods. These are empty things that will provide you nothing good. There's no substance in it. There's no truth in it. It's vain and it's meaningless, but beware because it's everywhere and it's enticing. The empty philosophy that Paul's writing about is any system of belief, that seeks to find ultimate meaning and purpose apart from God's absolute revelation of himself to the world. We we often like to label these different philosophies, as you might call them, with the suffix "-ism." So in our day, we are encouraged to embrace philosophies like humanism and individualism, And existentialism and feminism and nationalism and hedonism and wokeism and pluralism and postmodernism and secularism and totalitarianism and atheism and agnosticism and skepticism and materialism and liberalism. And we could go on and on with all of the, the, the different isms that mankind likes to create because man needs to find a way to explain the world outside of the revelation that God has provided. So come up with an ism and there's your solution. At least that's what man thinks. And Paul is saying all of that is empty. It's empty. We need to know that these are not neutral philosophical systems that we can just kind of pick and choose what we please from, like some sort of endless delicious salad bar of options of the world's ideas. We we can't just kind of craft our own religion and whatever we want to make for ourselves. No, no, that's the heart of idolatry. That's Paul's point here. This is the sort of religion that Paul calls foolish idolatry to embrace the ideas of men as if they are more important than the revelation of God. Perhaps the late uh, Christian philosopher Cornelius Van Til puts it best here. He says, our doctrine of God requires that it be made foundational to everything else. You hear that? The doctrine of God has to be the foundation for everything else. As a principle of explanation. In other words, God is the foundation of everything that exists. Because all that exists, exists by his free determination. So you want to understand the world, you've got to understand God first. If God is self-sufficient, Van Til writes, he alone is self-explanatory. And if he alone is self-explanatory, then he must be the final reference point in all human predication. Predication are just statements of truth. So God has to be the final reference point in every statement of truth that mankind ever makes. He is then, God is, like the sun from which all lights on earth derive their power of illumination. You do not use a candle in order to search for the sun. That's a beautiful picture. You don't light up a candle of human reasoning to go and try to find the sun. If you want to understand the candle, you understand the sun first. The idea of a candle is derived from the sun. So the very idea of any fact in the universe is is that it is derivative. God has created it. It cannot have come into existence by itself or by chance. God himself is the source of all possibility and therefore of all space-time factuality. Okay, church, what, what Van Til is saying is you can't have facts without an absolute God. You can't have true knowledge without a God who knows all things. And we can't know anything. Therefore, if we don't first have a knowledge of the God who knows and created all things. Okay, now the bold claim, church, of Jesus, the bold claim that our Jesus that we worship made is that he is that God who made all things. He is the source of all revelation in the Bible himself. He is God in flesh. He is the ultimate fact which all men must reckon with and to create realities and explanations of the world without dealing with Jesus Christ, who claimed to be truth in and of himself, and who died and came back to life and ascended into heaven, is to commit the most dire mistake imaginable. And yet billions of people commit this very mistake. So church, be watchful. Okay, watch out for any ideology that seeks to explain the world apart from God's word. Because it's very likely nothing more than empty deceit. But that doesn't mean that there's not a spiritual power behind it as well. And Paul makes that clear in the next portion of the text. Which leads us to see the emptiness that comes from hell's rioting. Emptiness from hell's rioting. He says that the empty philosophy is according to, look at the phrase, the elemental spirits of the world. Now, this word here, elemental spirits, can have a broad meaning. It can refer to the basic principles of the world, like earth, water, fire, those basic matter, basic principles. It can refer to that kind of stuff. But it also often would carry a spiritual connotation. And I think it's undoubtable that Paul has spiritual forces in mind when he uses this particular Greek phrase, Here. So the ESV translation, I believe, here is correct. You got to know that ancient people in Paul's day believed that spirits would occupy physical objects in the world. Okay, so even if he's talking about these basic matter within the world, the ancient mind would have understood those things to be occupied by spirits. So Paul has spiritual forces in mind when he uses this phrase. And we've already seen that Paul has been emphasizing the spiritual realm throughout this letter. He he told us back in chapter 1 that we were captive to the domain of darkness. And and that domain of darkness is the domain that is controlled by Satan and his demons who are seeking to thwart the purpose of God in the world. And, And Paul is saying, you need to be careful not to be taken captive by that. Again, that's the idea he's getting at here. We live in a spiritually powerful world where immaterial beings are constantly working to get us to believe lies rather than truth. So do you want to know what the ultimate forces are that undergird the philosophies of men and use the philosophies of men to lead people away from the revealed truth of God in the Bible? It's demonic forces. All of the isms of these human reasoning, all of the systems of belief that don't include the revelation of God as the ultimate standard, are utilized by Satan and his demons to keep people away from the one true creator God whom they need to be reconciled to. Friends, hell is rioting against God. And that shows in every new fad of belief that becomes popular in our broken world. If you see ideas becoming popular and they're primarily being espoused by people who don't give a care about God's word, Guard up! Watch out for that! That is the source of demonic deception! We live in a spiritual world, friends, not just a material world, a spiritual world that is occupied by real powers that use the ideas of human beings to try to thwart the truth of God and get people to believe lies. Powers occupy idols. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells a story of a woman that he met once that I think illustrates this point. He says, I remember a woman who was a spiritist and even a medium, a paid medium employed by spiritist society. She used to go every Sunday evening to a spiritist meeting and was paid three guineas for acting as a medium. This was during the 30s and that was quite a large sum of money for a lower class woman. She was ill one Sunday and could not keep her appointment. She was sitting at her house, and she saw people passing by on her way to the church where I happened to be ministering in South Wales. Something made her feel a desire to know what these people had. And so she decided to go to the service and did. She came ever afterwards until she died and became a very fine Christian. One day I asked her what she had felt on that first visit, and this is what she said to me. And this is a point that Lloyd-Jones says he's illustrating. She said, the moment I entered your chapel and sat down on a seat amongst the people, I was conscious of a power. I was conscious of the same sort of power that I was accustomed to in our spiritist meetings. But there was one big difference. I had a feeling that the power in your chapel was a clean Power. Friends, by God's grace, this woman came to see that the powers that were influencing her were demonic powers. They were not pure powers. They were not true powers. And she came to discern the difference as she heard the objective, final, full word of God opened up and expounded by Lloyd-Jones, who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit to a congregation that was filled with the Holy Spirit. Church, that is true, clean power. You, you want to defy the narrative of the modern agenda that tells you to, speak, to seek spiritual fullness anywhere but Christ, then you get yourself to a church that opens the Bible and listens to the voice of the God who made you. Well, what I'm trying to tell you, church, is that university professors are not wiser than God. Social media influencers, no matter how crafty they sound, no matter how well they present and package their material, are not wiser than God. Talk show hosts are not wiser than God. Friends, friends who, who are bought hook, line, and sinker into the new and popular ideas of today are not wiser than God. Family, Family who may even try to convince you that they speak for God, though they have departed from what is clearly revealed in the Bible, are not wiser than God. They don't have the true, clean power of God that is undergirding the things that they are preaching and proclaiming. They are being influenced instead by demonic powers that are leading them to believe things that are, yes, popular among men, but are damning before the one and holy righteous God who has revealed himself in the Bible. See, every person in this world has a factory default setting that is empowered by demonic forces to believe what is wrong about God. So be watchful, dear saints. We have to cling to Christ and to his revelation to us. Which leads to the last source of emptiness here. Emptiness that comes from hopeless relying. Paul goes on and he says that these demonic philosophies are empty because they're not according to Christ. You want to know why they're empty? They're not according to the true Christ. In other words, they are not independence upon Christ. And the source of knowledge that does not look to Jesus as ultimate in every way is ultimately empty, my friends, because it's not all of Christ. Okay, Paul has already preached this great truth to us throughout Colossians. He's told us Jesus is the image of the invisible God, friends. He is eternally the one God that the Bible reveals. This one God is revealed in the Bible as three persons, and Jesus is the second person of that triune God. He is the one who has all authority over creation. He is the one who created all things, visible and invisible. He is the purpose of all things that exist, and he holds all things together through his power. So fullness then, the the sort of fullness that every created human heart so desperately needs can be found in this one source alone, the Christ who made you. So again, we ask, I need to plunge into this question, who is he? And that's where we find fullness, friends. Finding fullness. Look with me at Colossians 2.9. Paul writes, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Whew. Paul Begins here with the word for or, or the word because, you can even say, because he's about to reveal what every empty philosophy lacks. And what it lacks is the foundation of all things, which is Christ Himself. Jesus is the foundation of all knowledge. So so if you don't start with him as the source of all that you know is ultimately true, you've gone horribly wrong, my friends. I don't know if you've noticed this, but around here it's really popular right now to have an epistemological crisis. I've had more than one college student, especially a lot of BYU students will tell me this, that they're, they're having a crisis of epistemology. They're trying to figure out, how do I know what I know? How do I know what is true? What is the source of knowing? And they often begin to look at things outside of the one true revelation of God in order to find the source of all knowing. They start to think, well, since I've been told about this revelation my whole life that I'm supposed to believe in, which is not an objective revelation grounded in the word of God, but a revelation that is received by men and given through men currently, because they're looking there, or they start to go and look at every other atheistic resource that they can find, which tends to be the only direction I see most, ex-LDS people going is straight into this sort of agnosticism and atheism. They cannot find what they're looking for. Because what they ought to be looking for is the true foundation. The church's one foundation, which is Christ himself, who's an objective person who revealed himself objectively to real apostles in history. And those apostles wrote down as eyewitnesses who Jesus is so that we can know who he is Objectively. Not subjectively. Objectively. So Paul says here that we should be captivated by Christ. Captivated by Him as we worship Him in all, rather than taken captive by man-made ideas and philosophies. This verse is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible for understanding the true nature of Christ. Because here Paul makes it clear that Jesus is the absolute dwelling place of God in a man. And as we've already considered a few weeks back, Paul, I think, has the Jewish temple in mind as he writes this here because the language so closely resembles Psalm 68. Remember the false teachers in Colossae, and we're especially going to see this more in coming weeks, those false teachers are telling the Christians in Colossae that they need to start having these different spiritual experiences by doing things in addition to Christ. And those spiritual experiences included promises that by going and doing these certain steps that they said you should do, a person could begin to receive visions and revelations of the heavenly temple. They can be kind of caught up into this revelatory experience, an out-of-body sort of experience, and they would create these out-of-body experiences by being harsh on their bodies and using different sorts of almost drug like tactics to have these out-of-body stretching experiences. And Paul is calling out the folly of this sort of thinking that the false teachers are encouraging these people to. Because it misses the essential theological truth that Jesus was the true temple. Okay, Every Jew longed to be in the courts of the Lord. Every Jew wanted to be in the presence of God. Every Jew knew that there was something special and unique about the temple. And what Paul is saying is the physical temple in Jerusalem is of no consequence anymore because Christ came as the true temple in the world. So you don't need to try to have these revelatory experiences because you live in Colossae and it's hard to get to Jerusalem and you want to get a little bit of a taste of the temple. So try to do all these extra things so that you can have that. No, no, no. Paul is saying Christ is the true temple. So if you want to know the presence of God, you go into him. And he's all you need. He's sufficient. You don't need anything extra in addition to that. So so Paul's Christianity, and thus the true Christianity that's been passed down by the apostles for us to hold fast to today, is a Christianity centered on knowing this Jesus through his revealed word, because he is the true temple of God. If we want to know God's presence, his presence dwells with his people through his word. If we want to go to the place where we can dwell with him through his word, we go into Christ who gave us the word. You see the beauty of how all of this connects so that we can know God and worship Him and find fullness. God sent Jesus into the world to be the place where the fullness of God dwells. So so if you want that kind of fullness of God's presence in your life, you don't find it by chasing after subjective experiences. You find it by knowing Christ through your Bibles. And in the Bible, you find truths that'll tell you things like the fullness of deity dwells in Christ. Paul wants to make sure you go to your Bible so that you're worshiping the right Jesus and not a false Christ that can't save. And so he clarifies who this Jesus is that you ought to be worshiping. Paul's being very careful with his words in this verse. Remember, Back in chapter 1, verse 19, we studied a similar phrase where Paul wrote, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, now, interestingly, in that verse, the word deity was not mentioned in chapter 1, but it is explicitly mentioned here. Now, I'm not going to go into all the exact details of the Greek construction of this verse, but it's imperative that you know what Paul is communicating here. He is not communicating. He is not communicating that Jesus Christ was filled with some part of divinity. He's not communicating that there's an endless kind of sort of divinity out there and that all mankind can be filled with this sort of divinity by doing the things that are required. In fact, that would have been exactly the kind of false teaching that the Colossian false teachers were promoting. He's not saying that. No, Paul is saying that all of divine fullness dwells in Christ, okay? The fullness of God dwells in him and in him alone. So let me just put what Paul is saying here a little more plainly for you. Jesus Christ alone is God. He is God in flesh. And that's what Paul makes explicit here. Jesus didn't gain the fullness of God by doing the works required. No, no. He exists eternally as the fullness. He is God. He is full deity. He is true God. Paul's one sentence here declares an eternally magnificent truth. The God that the Jews worshipped in the Old Testament fully dwelled in the world in the person of Jesus. That's an incredible truth. And now you see what Jesus in his revelation what makes it so important for us. Because anything that leads you away from knowing Christ is inevitably going to lead you into emptiness because it's vain. Because all of the fullness is found in Christ, who is God himself. And if this is a God who really is absolute, who really created all things, who really holds all things in his hands by the word of his power, then any fullness that you will experience or know in your life, in your mind, in your heart, in your will, can only come from and through knowing Jesus and worshiping him. And the false teachers would would have the Colossians believe that Christ was only one part of achieving some sort of fullness in your life. The false teachers would try to tell you, Jesus is just one little portion of the puzzle. You got to put the rest of the puzzle together to reach the kind of divinity that you're trying to reach. You need more than what Jesus provides for you. This is the message of all false teachers and all false gospels. You need more mysteries. You need more hidden knowledge. You need something that is addition to and above and beyond Jesus, you don't just need Christ, you also need your works. You also need a little bit of me time. You also need atomic habits and a surefire proof approach to living the good life and the Japanese art of decluttering and organizing your life and some practical tips on how to stop doubting your greatness so that you can start living your own awesome life. And yes, those are all part of titles of the most popular self-help books on the market right now. Because the philosophies of men will always tell you if you want the full good life, you need Jesus plus what I've got to tell you. And Paul corrects this thinking. You remember what he said in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3? Paul wants nothing more than for Christians to have their hearts encouraged. But your hearts to be encouraged, church. How? Verse 3, chapter 2, by reaching the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So church, if you're running on empty this morning, it's about time you stop listening to all of the world's solutions and start filling your life with the true Christ. And that's what's going to lead us into our final point, what it looks like to be running on full. Running on full. Look at verse 10. Paul writes, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, let's again be clear just quickly on what this does not mean. This does not mean that. We have been filled with deity just like Christ is. In fact, Paul makes very careful uh, effort to ensure he's not giving that idea. He's very careful not to say that that's what he's getting after. Now, what, what he means to say is that the spiritual fullness that every human heart craves and seeks in all the wrong places is found in Christ alone. Paul, Paul reminds his church that they've been filled in Christ. Okay when they placed their faith and their trust in Christ alone and believed that he is truly God in flesh, and that he came and lived in the world to deliver them from their own sin and to conquer death on their behalf so that one day they could be resurrected to eternal life with him, that their hope was secure in him because of what he accomplished in their place by faith and by faith alone. They know that one day they have, well, in a sense, already been delivered from their sin, but one day will be finally and fully, completely delivered from this body of death, from this world filled with sin and restored into his perfect, holy Paul is saying, You believe that you need to hold fast to it. You are filled in Him. And really, what Paul's doing here is getting back to this temple imagery. Okay, Christ is the true temple, and He alone is the true temple. But we, as created beings, thrive only when we are dwelling in the presence of our Creator God. Okay, that, that's what the Garden of Eden was. The Garden of Eden was a perfect temple. A temple where God's people dwelled in his perfect, holy, relational presence as his people were worshiping him as their one and only God. So we are created to thrive as we are dwelling in his presence. That's also why Israel was later on commanded to establish a tabernacle and then eventually to establish a temple. It was so that they could go into the presence of God in a place where their sin could be dealt with. Because sin created a divide where they could no longer know the joy of their God's presence. So the temple was a place where God's presence dwelt, where God's people could send a representative to enter into the temple and deal with their sin so that God's presence could continue to dwell with his people. They can know the joy and blessing of his presence in the temple with the mediation of that joy. And now, he from heaven sent down his one and only son... Who is the true temple, who comes and dwells with us as the temple where he takes our sins into himself, dies for them. He's he's considered as if he was sinful, though he never sinned himself pays for our sin, that's the true temple, and now ascends into heaven where he rules and reigns as the true temple of God in the heavenly places. But we also see this develop in how he sends his Holy Spirit to fill his church, which now receives the blessing of knowing his tabernacling presence here on earth. We as the church are filled with the power of God. We are filled with the truth of God. We are filled with Christ's fullness, even as he himself is the fullness of God. Okay, so this means then that all knowledge and all of the joy of the presence of God, which he intended his creation to know, is found in Christ. And we as his church are in him. And so in him, we find the fullness that our hearts long for. And so Paul reminds the church that this Christ He goes on to say, is the head of all rule and authority. The one who fills the church is the one who is ruling over every spiritual being in the created universe. Which means that we shouldn't seek fullness in these various lesser spiritual beings that offer the different philosophies of men, that offer the different feel good religious experiences. No, 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 Paul's saying all that stuff is empty. Go to the one who has power over every ruler and authority. Paul's saying keep your focus on Christ church. That's how we ensure that we stay full. We're never going to find true spiritual fulfillment outside of the one who's the absolute source of all that our souls seek. And so, you may be asking, How do I receive more of this fullness which is in Christ? Are you running on empty this morning? How do I receive more of the fullness which is in Christ? Well, the answer to that is quite simple. Paul prays, if you remember, that we may be filled, back in chapter 1, with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. How does that happen, church? Well, it happens from doing what Paul did. We study our Bibles, we pray, and we live in true Christian community because the church is the dwelling place of God on the earth. That's how you know the fullness of God. It's in his revelation. He dwells with his people through his word, friends. Trent Hunter and Stephen Wellham wrote a book about the Bible's overarching theme, and it's called Christ from Beginning to End. And in the introduction of the book, they write this, like a puzzle... The pieces of the Bible, the various books, letters, characters, and stories fit together. The Bible contains mysteries, but its meaning is not in, intended to be a mysteri- be mysterious or hidden from us, especially in its central teaching. God does not try to hide truth from us. He reveals it. The Bible reveals more than a picture for us to enjoy. It reveals a person for us to know. Jesus is that person. On the last page of the Bible, Jesus makes an astounding claim. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. What does Jesus mean? Jesus says that the purpose and meaning of the universe, history, and every human life is tied to him. It should not surprise us to find that he is all the beginning and the end of the Bible and everything in between. Christ has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. Go and meditate on Luke 24 this afternoon, the road to Emmaus. Jesus comes up to his disciples, and you know what he does? He opens their eyes to the scriptures, and he explains to them from the law all the way through the prophets the things concerning himself. The Bible is all about him. He has revealed himself to us so that we can know who he is, so that we can know the fullness of God through the word of God. So church, if your spiritual life is empty, What you got to see is that can only be for one reason. That can only be because you have filled your life with things that distract you and lead you away from Christ. You are believing the empty and vain philosophies of this world. And if that's the case, then you need to correct your course and you need to return to Christ. Beware, watch out, go back to Jesus, meditate on him, know him, worship him, be with his people, pray to him. This is a real relationship with a real person that we're talking about here. So you need to fill your heart, fill your mind, fill your soul with the living word of God, which reveals Christ who fills his people. Yes, it's as simple as the fact that you need more of Jesus, my friends. If you're feeling dry, you need more of Jesus. And every day, you ought to be aware that your heart is going to be tempted to drift from him, to believe things that are empty, that won't give you life, that won't give you any joy, that won't give you any peace with God. Empty things that can never fill you. You'll just be putting diesel fuel in a petrol engine, friends. Let let me just make this really clear. Entertainment cannot fill you. It can't fill you. Money cannot fill you. I don't care how much money you have, it's not going to fill you in the fullest way that you need to be filled. Family. Your family cannot fill you. Can it give you a sense of fulfillment in some very earthly, tangible ways? Yes, but can it fulfill your soul's deepest longings? No, it cannot. Christ is the fullness. Your marriage cannot fill you. No matter how good or how bad, how rocky or how fertile the soul of your marriage is at any given point in time, you should never trust that as the source to fill you. Christ alone can fill you. Children cannot fill you. Children can be such a source of joy in this life. You get to celebrate them, watch them grow, take so much joy in them, but they can't fill your soul with the joy of salvation. Living in isolation, friends, from the people of God, because it's easier to stay at home, cannot fill you. The the Christian life is a life lived under the word of God with the people of God. Is it easier to stay at home? Yes, absolutely. You know, one thing that we make very clear in this church when you're going through our membership process, we tell you we really require you to be here on Sunday mornings. Okay, now we understand if you're sick, we understand occasionally you're going to be traveling, we get all that. So we're not talking about. Every Sunday you got to be here, you're going to hell or something like that. That's, that is clearly not what we're saying. What we're saying is your soul needs to be here on Sunday mornings worshiping with God's people. But I don't want you to get this confused. We're not saying that Sunday mornings should be the extent of your Christian community and your Christian life. You need more than just Sunday mornings. Okay, yes, we say this is required in the sense that we believe that the command to not neglect the assembling of the saints, which is in Hebrews, I believe, chapter 10. We believe that that is talking specifically and most clearly about the assembling of the saints for the worship of God on a weekly basis. So that's why we say Sunday mornings. You're not going to get disciplined out of the church if you're only here on Sunday. But you need Christian community more than just what the Sunday gathering provides if you're seeking fullness outside of the means that God has provided and you find yourself consistently empty, I'm trying to tell you, don't believe the lies. God has made clear what his people need to be filled. We need his word. We need each other pointing one another back to his word. Christian community, Christian worship, the word, Prayer, yes, the basics again and again and again and again. So, just some practical encouragement. If you need to move heaven and earth to be here on Thursday evenings, do it. If you need to move heaven and earth to be here on Sunday mornings to pray with God's people, do it. Be here. Be with God's people. This is how we receive the fullness of God as we point one another to Jesus afresh again and again and again. Now, I'm going to graciously qualify that. You're required to be here for worship on Sunday mornings. But come for more, more of the fullness of God through the word of God. Only Christ and the means that he has provided can fill his people, can fill his church with his presence. So let us lay hold of those means afresh this week and worship Jesus who is all that we need. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. And I do pray that this would just be a challenge to us, Lord. I know, I know that as I study this text, I know that I am seeking fullness in places where I cannot find it. Um, God, I pray that this congregation would by no means think that there's a preacher pointing a finger down at them. Lord, you know how often I stray and wonder into seeking fulfillment and comfort and things that just aren't going to give comfort to my soul. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive me for that. Lord, I pray that you would lead your people into a sweet repentance this morning, that they would seek fullness in the only place where it can be found, which is in Jesus. Lord, let us lay aside every weight, every sin, anything that would keep us from running hard after Jesus so that we can know his fullness in our lives. I pray that even as we celebrate this Lord's Supper fresh, that this would be a fresh reminder of all these great truths, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.